this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast with me amit barua your host for this episode it's the eastern front with china that has become tense after a border clash between chinese and indian troops in tawang in arunachal pradesh on the 9th of december india and china in focus listeners may recall are still engaged in dialing down chinese transgressions in multiple areas in eastern ladakh through negotiations that have been slow and protracted four days after the incident in tawang defense minister rajnath singh informed both houses of parliament that chinese troops unilaterally tried to alter the status quo in the yangtze area but were rebuffed by indian soldiers so what does one make of the latest aggressive posture displayed by the chinese this time in the eastern sector to discuss this issue i am joined by dr jabin t jacob associate professor at the department of international relations and governance studies of the shivnadar university welcome to the in focus podcast dr jacob thank you amit pleasure to be here dr jacob what do you make how do you place this in perspective what happened in tawang given the fact that india china relations are already tense so this particular incident of course uh, was expected you know we've had uh, a bunch of incidents in the western sector of the boundary dispute over some time but it was not as the, as if the eastern sector was uh, free of these incidents these incidents have been happening uh, i mean transgressions and pushing and shoving and clashes between Uh, and patrol patrolling faceoffs between the two sides have been happening for a very long time but now this particular incident in terms of the injuries caused the violence of the event is unique uh, of course but it also suggests that uh, you know even as these negotiations uh, on the uh, western uh, sector in the western sector are continuing and despite an incident like galwan uh, which led to the loss of lives on both sides if something like this has to happen if the chinese were to you know had to push and uh, create this particular incident then it means that uh, the chinese uh, are ready to take uh, uh, you know to to confront the indians to take a few losses um, and so this this means that we are looking at a, a completely changed situation on the lac which might pretty much look like the loc in many ways you know in terms of violence in terms of casualties and so on congress leader uh, rahul gandhi uh, seems to believe that china is preparing for war as an expert on the sino indian border dispute would you agree with his contention so china is certainly ready for conflict uh, is my view but uh, you know war as in a large scale conflict across the length of the lac i think that is very unlikely um, like like us the chinese also face uh, you could say a multiple front situation uh, they have the japanese they have the americans they have the taiwanese contingency and then they have us so um, i think common sense dictates that the chinese would also be very careful in terms of how much uh, they will push but i think over time uh, the impression has been created that the indians will only react that the indians will themselves not initiate anything and which is what i think gives the chinese a confidence to engage in these transgressions and they can always take a you know a few loss um, a few lives lost uh, that doesn't really matter in their system and so i think that's uh, where the rub is if you look at chinese documents uh, they've been talking about limited conflict or you know 
under high tech conditions etc cetera, etc cetera, for a very long time so that's what they are looking at plus uh, you know xi jinping himself since coming to power has been talking about the need for the pla to train for real combat and i think in many ways the situation with the india with the indians on the lac is pretty much you know like uh, tang shopping and the vietnam uh, conflict in the late 70s tang shopping wanted the pla to reform to shape up and therefore he threw the pla into a conflict with the vietnamese as a way of uh, getting them into shape and this looks pretty much like that also from the uh, from xi jinping's perspective i think um uh, that he's getting the pla into shape for uh, bigger conflicts elsewhere and uh, you know in your recent article dr jacob in the indian express newspaper you say that the negotiations that have been going on to address indian concerns on the western sector were perhaps aimed at buying time but you raise the question buying time for what what is your sense i mean after these kinds of transgressions are negotiations the only way out or should india respond militarily in some way to the chinese well first of all um, let's talk about this question of negotiations i think as long as we and you know a lot of the world worked on the under the assumption that china was normal state or a state that was trying to become normal and come into the community of uh, nations partake of globalization uh, we could have made the reasonable assumption that uh negotiations with the chinese on the boundary dispute would reach fruition eventually because you know both sides are willing to look at it rationally and that's why we had the 1993 96 and the 2005 agreements but you know uh our experience with the chinese over time also tells us another story that the chinese have consistently violated these agreements uh plus Uh, since 2005 i mean 2006 itself uh, the chinese then chinese foreign minister did say that look uh, you know you cannot claim that uh, tawang is not uh, uh, negotiable or that tawang is a settled matter because all well, tawang is important uh, to the chinese so in many ways he was already violating the terms of the 2005 agreement and i think a lot of our diplomats our negotiators at that point in time already knew that uh, this was coming plus we had experiences from elsewhere uh, in china's neighborhood where china would talk 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 a great deal for example in the south china sea where the chinese said okay we wanted code of conduct with all the parties to the dispute uh, but then they didn't actually go for a code of conduct they first wanted a declaration of a code of conduct and even that declaration on the code of conduct has been sort of hanging fire for a decade and more and in the meantime of course you saw the salami slide you, we've all seen the salami slicing and the occupation of multiple features in the south china season both the parasols and the spratlies so there's always been a record of the chinese saying one thing and doing another i mean xi jinping in fact went to the white house and actually told obama that he wouldn't militarize the south china sea and came back and did exactly that so in that sense the question then is about okay look what were we negotiating for or what did we do when the time that we had between the end of negotiations in 2005 and uh, you know the incident in galwan and my uh, sort of take is that uh, we hope for the best rather than prepare for worst case scenarios i mean in a sense we did prepare but that preparation didn't move fast enough and even now even today we find problems i mean look at the time it took between the appointment of a second cds 
after the unfortunate death of young rawat uh, look at the time and uh, effort uh, uh, that is still uh, you know out there in terms of theatrization um, of the military i mean we still do not have an indian national defense university despite the foundation stone being laid in 2013 so all of these reforms all of these measures that we needed to prepare that we needed to take in order to prepare for this uh, these eventualities with china we we have not taken uh, and i think by and large there has been a much larger or rather a greater preference to deal with the so called comfortable or familiar problem of pakistan than with china even though within the government within the highest echelons of the uh, Uh, the military leadership there has been a great deal of focus and understanding that china is really the uh, the problem of the future so in terms of the last question about okay what are our options i mean i i don't believe negotiations are any more useful because these are uh, the chinese certainly conduct them in bad faith if we had to respond militarily i think the the most appropriate time was immediately in the wake of galwan but even there you know we do not act confidently shall we say and well you know if if things get out of hand i don't see any way forward but to respond militarily i and I, like i said i don't believe that this will lead to escalation it is a fear of escalation that keeps us in check and that is something that the chinese are actually now taking advantage of so you know can you explain to our listeners uh, dr jacob uh, you know i remember i was in beijing uh, reporting for the hindu when the special representative process was agreed upon uh, in china when prime minister wajpayee visited and then of course we had manmohan singh continue the same process and as you mentioned earlier in your remarks several key agreements were signed i remember the issue of sikkim too was dealt with the chinese used to show it as an independent kingdom in their maps and a few months after the beijing meeting that mr wajpayee had with the chinese leadership uh, you know a few months later in indonesia the chinese actually presented us a map which showed that sikkim was very much a part of india is this now uh, you know dealing with uh, xi jin uh, xi jinping and you know the, the new chinese military leadership i mean would you say there's a great departure in the previous approach in the previous kind of uh, uh you know the tactics that the chinese adopted towards india and there's a whole, you know new in a sense a new kettle of fish to deal with so it is not entirely true that all of these changes in tactics started with xi jinping i mean if you recall uh, right after the 2005 2006 uh, when the chinese foreign minister then uh, yang chechu makes a statement uh, you know this is under hu jintao so a lot of these trends actually originate in hujintao's time and i think there was an increased sense of chinese confidence that they could push the envelope or that they could uh, that their time had arrived especially following the 2008 financial crisis when they saw that the americans were in an absolute mess so i think that gave them a degree of confidence uh, to push forward uh, you know their plans uh, their own narratives and you know xi jinping is simply taking it up to the next level i mean it's the same thing is applied in india as well you know in a sense our uh, our border infrastructure development doesn't start uh, in just the last 10 years it's been going on for the last 20 years so you know our attention our focus on china has been growing steadily and gradually over the last couple of decades so uh, there is continuity even in india and the same can be said also of uh, the case of the, in the case of the chinese 
so then why would you why would they make say concessions on a matter like sikkim it didn't matter to them or you know well sikkim happened in 2003 so this this was uh, they, you know at this point in time the chinese were you know they did not know what was coming as far as the american economy uh, with respect to uh, you know the financial crisis was going to happen i mean they did not know this was happening or that the americans would be so badly affected by this so at this point in time i think the chinese were still following the tongues tongue shopping's uh, dictum of laying low uh, biding your time and they needed to build bridges they needed to uh, make friends all across uh, because um, you know they had just joined the wto in 2001 they were still dealing with the uh, the aftermath of joining the wto which is a period of great flux for the chinese economy uh, and so they needed to expand into other markets so there's a whole uh, bunch of things that's happening on the economic front that also caused china to uh, want to Uh, build bridges with india and at this point in time of obviously uh, you know the chinese also saw that uh, uh, china uh, the, the india and the us had you know more or less recovered from the uh, tension in the relationship post the 1998 uh, nuclear test so uh, they are also watching all of this and uh, you know moving accordingly uh, post 2008 uh, is a very different uh, uh, set of uh, circumstances and with the arrival of xi jinping again there's a very different set of circumstances because here is an individual who has a particular world view who uh, is now reacting again i mean see the domestic in china is very very important he is now reacting to set of legitimacy issues that the communist party of china now faces with it at home uh given the corruption uh given the uh, e- economic inequalities that have all grown in the last couple of decades under jiang zemin and hu jintao so his approach was well we will make the party stronger the anti corruption drive and uh, this greater sense of an ideological uh, world view uh, a greater stress on the ideological world view so um in many ways then you know a stronger or a much harder line in terms of china's foreign policy suits uh, xi jinping's domestic uh, playbook as well because that's how he gets some space for maneuver domestically by showing that the communist party under him is uh, taking care of china's interests abroad uh, now these were not particularly concerns in the early 2000s but it, they have increasingly become issues for the communist party today Dr. Jacob, what's your sense? Uh, you know, uh, there have been uh, you know many complaints or you know many articles in our press, uh, writings by academics and analysts and retired military officers about you know the need for the government to be more transparent when it comes to Chinese incursions or Chinese actions. What's your view on that? I mean, how much should the government share and how much should the government not share? Well, you know, in a democracy, the obvious answer is the government must share. But you know, obviously, there are operational matters or operational elements or aspects that no government shares, not even uh, in a democracy. But here, the question is not of operational aspects. This is just a statement of facts. What's going on, or why is it going on? Can the government give us an explanation of what is going on and why it's happening? and these are just points statements of facts that the government needs to provide to the general public and uh, you know and in this country even something as old as the henderson brooks report 
of 19, I mean, post the 1962 conflict has not been, uh, you know, published or not been made available to the general public. Now, there might be different views and saying, okay, there might be elements uh, or aspects of the report that affect or impinge on our boundary negotiations. Fine. So, I mean, you redact it uh, and you put, you can still put out the rest of it in the public domain. I mean, that's how the Americans do it. The other way is, of course, if you have a very, uh, I mean, we have a parliamentary system and we have a standing affairs, uh, standing committee on, you know, external affairs or on uh, defense and on defense. Now, these are committees that should be kept in the loop. Uh, if uh, parliamentarians were kept in the loop and made aware of uh, all these elements uh, and educated, including on educa- on the operational aspects, I'm sure uh, there would be much more uh, reasonable arguments uh, and uh, discussions in parliament. And, you know, at the moment, uh, it's a lose-lose situation. Neither does the government get the benefit of the best of analyses or experience uh, in the public domain. Uh, And nor is the public informed and kept aware of what is going on on its own borders. So I think, uh, I mean, this is, in a sense, uh, pretty much the Chinese system. And the Chinese people also don't know what's going on on the borders. And the Indian people also don't know what's going on on the borders. But we have a difference in political systems that needs to be taken into account as well. So what's your sense? I mean, why is the government not doing this? Because is it is it that our establishment, uh, you know, down the decades, uh, you know, post-1962, you know, suffered from some kind of a China complex wherein dealing with this, uh, you know, big country, this difficult country was always a problem. Is that the reason why they don't share information? Or is there something else in your view? Well, I think first and foremost, there's a sense of inertia. I mean, this is how things have been done in government. Government is used to a certain lack of accountability. And when I say government, I also include uh, civil servants uh, and the security agencies and the politicians. So the politicians obviously have to you know, meet their comeuppance every uh, five years at the, at the hustings. But not so with the uh, the civil service and, or the military. So, therefore, um, I think because politicians are not well informed about foreign policy or defense matters, they tend to rely a great deal on the system, which is the bureaucracy in these matters. And uh, they choose not to challenge or uh, confront the bureaucracy in many of these matters because it's simply convenient. It's just uh, easier to get things done that way. But I, I think, uh, you know, with most Indians now going online and watching these videos on WhatsApp and whatnot, uh, the point is that people will come to know of these things. And, uh, you know, if people also believe, uh, you know, the general line that, you know, Pakistan is a problem that we can take care of, it's sorted as a citizens, as citizens of an ambitious country with, uh, you know, hopes and dreams of becoming a world power, uh, citizens too will naturally look at, okay, which is our next challenge? And the next challenge is China. And yet there is a black hole of information as far as uh, China is concerned. I, and I, somehow this doesn't square. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, and so politicians, uh, the government system will now need to confront uh, the reality that uh, there will be demands for information because else citizens, voters cannot take the government uh, seriously when it says that, well, national security is all taken care of. Because those are not what those videos or the facts on the ground uh, seem to be showing. And even if they are showing that, okay, we've pushed them back, you know, uh, there's still, I mean, there's no acknowledgement. I mean, what question has been raised in the case of Yangtze, that, that if we push them back, why has the government been reluctant to advertise this? 
So there seems to be something missing here. Uh, perhaps it's a lack of adequate thought put into the process of, uh, you know, how do we release this information? How do we curate this information? Then, then the consequences, when people start asking questions, all right, uh, so how do these things happen? Why is it that the maps of India or the line of actual control is not settled or not defined properly? Uh, a simple thing. I mean, when an Indian decides to go on online on Google and decides to download a map of India, you know, seldom do you find a map of India that gets India's borders correctly. I mean, these are all questions that, you know, citizens are going to want to raise the moment China comes into the public consciousness uh, or China, the government starts releasing information on China. Uh, and the government, I don't think, has not, uh, I don't think the government or civil service have actually thought things through on this front. Right. Dr. Jacob, before I let you go, uh, you know, I want to ask you a question about India's allies. You know, we are now part of the Quad. Uh, you know, the Americans have their own view of China. They have their own issues, their own problems with China. So uh, the Russians today uh, perhaps uh, stand a little aloof from India. Uh, you know, they are, very, they are perceived to be close to China. So if push does come to shove, you know, in, in a literal sense uh, along the line of actual control with China, do you think the United States and the rest of its Western allies will actually stand by India? I don't think so. I mean, and nor should we expect anybody to stand by us, uh, I mean, in terms of a physical conflict. But we can expect them and we should expect them to stand by us in terms of building the narrative, in terms of uh, support at multilateral organizations and so on. I think that's a fair expectation. Say like they've stood with, with Ukraine uh, in the current conflict. Uh, would you say something like that uh, when you say when you refer to the narrative? Uh, in terms of the narrative, yes. I mean, Zelensky with with Ukraine, the the uh, you know NATO and the West have been a little more forthcoming in terms of uh, weaponry as well. I mean, I don't think we are uh, in that state. In that state, uh, and we don't need to. I mean, this is a problem that we need to need to fix and resolve ourselves. But it doesn't doesn't it appear to you that we are being in a sense sucked into the American narrative when it comes to China? I don't think so. I think we have our own narrative on China. And if anything, uh, the rest of the world is now beginning to understand and follow the Indian narrative. I mean, think about this way, about it this way. I mean, we were the first to call attention to the BRI and its problems. Now the rest of the world is finally uh, cottoning on to this. Uh, we were the first to ban Chinese apps following Galwan. And now even the Americans are thinking of banning these apps. So I think in many ways on China policy, uh, I mean, let's give credit where credit is due, uh, even if it, some of these decisions come pretty late. Uh, we have been, you know, taking the initiative. We've been at the forefront. And so I think uh, we should be confident enough to uh, say that uh, our narrative is also out there and that we can and we should promote these narratives uh, better. And all I'm saying is greater accountability, greater democratic discussion of what these issues will actually help strengthen our efforts in publishing and or in pushing forward our narrative to the rest of the world. Because, I mean, India more than any other country faces China on the border. And the rest of the world will be looking at, well, if the Indians don't take China seriously enough to reform their military, enough to discuss these matters in parliament, then, you know, they will also feel that there's a contradiction in terms of what we say about China. And that's the contradiction that we can avoid. So I'm going to ask you a slightly unfair question, but I'm going to do it in any way. Uh, what is your sense, say, on a grade scale of 1 to 10, uh, you know, what is uh, what kind of threat does India face from China today? I mean, one being uh, 
no threat and 10 being very threatening is it yes i would put it in the middle somewhere 5 6 uh, i don't foresee uh, a kinetic conflict but a lot of other issues in terms of economic challenges in terms of political challenges i think in fact for me the most serious challenge is a political challenge this ideological conflict between an authoritarian communist party of china and a democratic india is really the big uh, you know the big concern of the future uh, and for the chinese it's a uh, you know zero sum calculation precisely because they find all uh, democracies including the indian democracy an existential threat and so that's the challenge that we need to be aware of the narratives that the chinese are building um, and sort of releasing into our own neighborhood and so you know dealing with china will require us to not just deal with the threat on the lac in fact for me the threat on the lac is the least of our concerns it's a political challenge chinese influence chinese integrating of the economies in south asia chinese military diplomacy in the indian ocean region all of these are much larger th- concerns uh, for the long term dr jabinti jacob of the shivnadar university thank you so much for talking to the hindus in focus podcast thank you been a pleasure In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.